A lot of times companies just bring a consultant in and they think of them as a craftsman that will solve a particular technical problem. They say, go do X, Y, and Z. But it's really critical for the consultants that come in to understand the big picture and take a holistic approach. We're discussing engineering excellence with Dan Drayson, Chief Development Officer of Shift4. Shift4 is a e-commerce enabling company. We do over 3 billion transactions a year, and we process those transactions for over 200,000 customers worldwide. Dan, your Chief Development Officer, what does that encompass, that role? At Shift4, I'm responsible for uh, all software development. We think of three basic pillars. We have our customer-facing applications. We have our payment platform uh, that processes transactions. And we have our internal systems that are sort of the uh, foundation or operating system for our company, if you will. You talk a lot about the concept of engineering excellence. Tell us about that. It's really important that we build systems that have the right balance uh, between different qualities. And the first thing I think it's um, important to have in mind is you've probably heard of the iron triangle before that uh, off so all software development sort of has to uh, obey. And that's uh, you could choose how much you want, how, how rich it should be in features. You could choose how much you want to pay for it, how costly it should be. And you can choose how fast you want it done. Uh, but you can't set that, uh, all those parameters to be anything you want. If you want it to be really fast, you may have to make some compromises in feature set or perhaps quality. So engineering excellence is about having a strategy for where on that iron triangle you want to be for the particular problem you're trying to solve for the particular customer target base, uh, if you're a product company, and then it's about execution to make sure you uh, optimize for where you, you're trying to be on that uh, iron triangle. So you're trading off time, cost, and quality, essentially, features, number of features. In the last 25 years, there's really been a lot of work done to give development teams and companies more options on how to do that. A lot of product companies, it's really important to get into market very quickly and maybe with what they would call a minimum viable product, uh, which kind of implies that you're going to go uh, emphasize speed and you may not worry about feature set as much. Um, doesn't mean that you're going to produce bad quality. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make a great product eventually. It just means that you want to make sure that you can get into market as quickly as possible and then potentially iterate from there. How do you make these decisions of where to balance? Every company is a little different. For us uh, at Shift4, um, getting into market um, in, in new verticals is really important. And so for those projects, uh, we emphasize the, the time to market aspect of it. Um, in, in some of the other verticals that we're in where we have more established products, uh, it's more around sort of feature set and quality that we, we dig into. For both of those cases, though, we leverage a, a version of Scaled Agile, um, which allows us to iterate very quickly. It allows us to get releases out to our customer base quickly, and most importantly, then get feedback from those customer bases as to uh, what we've done well, 
uh, what we need to improve on, which helps advise us on uh, how to do the next iteration. But how do you make the decision of whether to add features or reduce cost, for example? Those are very tough engineering choices and product design choices. We have a group of people who are figuring out looking at the market, figuring out what needs to be done and what are the time frames that make sense. And they have something, you know, we'll call it a backlog, a product backlog. And they're working on that. And these are people who are very uh, familiar with uh, the product space. And at the same time, we have groups of engineers or let's say development professionals who are not just engineers, but quality professionals, um, analysts who are working on the actual code. And they're they're looking at what's in the product backlog and the teams that are available, and they're sort of deciding which things can we make the most progress on the most quickly. We found that two weeks is pretty good for us to get an idea of we build something, get a reaction from the product team as to whether we've built the right thing. Uh, if so, we push it out the door, get a reaction from our customers uh, in terms of uh, how well they like it. And all of these small, very frequent decisions ultimately roll up to the business strategy. And this is the mechanism by which you align software development with the higher level business strategy. Is that a correct summary? 100%. It's a case of constant adjustment. Uh, I used the word engine before, I think. And it's like a multi-stage engine, which has different uh, characteristics that you're looking at uh, as you move through that process. So at the very beginning, the folks who are thinking about the product are looking at things like uh, market uh, potential and what are our competitors doing and what's the total of uh, available market to be attacked. And they prioritize the work based on that. And you can think of that as strategy. It's sort of in that strategy sphere. But it does also get into some of the more practical questions about um, you know, how are users going to interact with this and gets into, you know, does application design questions. And as we move through that engine, it gets now into smaller, more detailed questions of, well, how quickly can we implement that feature? What language should we use? What technology is going to help meet those objectives? So again, all of this rolled up together ensures the alignment between software development, product development, and the ultimate business strategy. So you have an organization, uh, you may hear the term in Agile Scrum called Scrum of Scrums, where you have uh, designates from each of the different teams that are working mostly in parallel, but they still have to be coordinated at some point to make sure that the problems that they're running into are addressed and understood by the other teams. So you're engineering organization is also structured to reflect this kind of iterative, almost fractal-like mirroring across its different parts. And then you have an overarching coordination layer. If you have all these different layers that have to interact in different ways, it's probably obvious that a typical hierarchy in an organization can't really do that. So we really operate as a matrixed organization. So we certainly have reporting relationships, but we have lots of other 
relationships um, in terms of how we organize that are outside of, let's say, the traditional hierarchy. A great example is you might have an engineering manager that has a lot of engineers report to them and a QA manager with a lot of QA uh, professionals reporting to them. Dan, it sounds like you're very philosophically aligned with Intevity around the importance of bringing together the business strategy and the software development. Absolutely. When it comes to consultants in general, I'm pretty skeptical. Um, I think that using consultants is a, a really important lever, but it's also one that can be tricky um, just in general because uh, you know you need to make sure that all people on the development team are aligned to a common outcome um, and sort of have the same cultural background and are basically pulling in the same direction. A lot of times companies just bring a consultant in and they think of them as a craftsman that will solve a particular technical problem. They say, go do X, Y, and Z. But it's really critical for the consultants that come in to understand the big picture and take a holistic approach, uh, which means they need to understand what kind of strategy the company has. You have to be able to quickly come in and understand a domain and be able to ask the right questions. And Intevity uh, has done a great job of that uh, every time we've brought them in. And I think it's really important to make sure that you're using consultants who understand your goals, who can understand the business problem, and who have tools to help dig into that, know how to build uh, models, uh, know how to do uh, analysis and design, and not just, let's say, throw code. All of this sounds great, but how do we measure? What kind of KPIs, metrics, measurements do you use? As a product development organization, we want to get our products out quickly. It's very important for us to uh, be agile and fast. And so a lot of these rigorous techniques that I'm talking about um, are difficult for us to implement and achieve those outcomes. So I call those output KPI uh, first order KPI. And we use what I would call second order KPI, which are more internal measurements of our SDLC, that engine that I described earlier. And rather than looking for absolute numbers saying, we want this number to be 10 or 20 or 5 million, uh, we're looking for gradual improvement of those second order KPI. Some organizations also look at KPIs in areas such as adoption, operations, ROI. Do you think about it that way as well? Absolutely. So those are all part of what I would call these second order uh, KPIs. So for example, um, and, and there's a couple different areas where we really look at this, but in an application, um, you want to understand how users who are interacting with that application are using the functionality that you put in there. So if you put out a new feature, you want to know that people are actually using that feature. So you can look at what's called cohort analysis to try to understand the pathways that people follow through the application. Are they successfully able to use the new feature? Do they stop using the application? Sometimes, you know, call abandonment. Uh, and those kind of cohort analysis are really helpful to understand um, that aspect of the problem. But you also want to understand the technical side of it. Uh, we put out a new feature. 
Is it now using twice the CPU or memory that it was before? So these are the operational metrics that you also want to keep an eye on. And that's why people don't uh, use it. Dan, you've been alluding to this without saying the term, but where does governance fit into this concept of engineering excellence? Governance is really about making sure that you are doing what you say you're going to do or you say you're doing. And so the framework we use for thinking about governance is as a layer of visibility on all those different uh, engines that I talked about, the software development lifecycle and the scrum of scrums vertically. So you need to make sure that you have a way to have insight into what's happening um, across each of those processes and workflows. And governance is about making sure that you not only have that insight, but that you have people who are responsible for validating that the insight tells them that things are going well. So product ownership is a key part of that, but then you also have governance around the technical aspects as well. Certainly around, you know, we talk about metrics uh, for operations. You know, are we using more memory than we should? Are we using, uh, is the cost per, per unit of processing too high? Um, and then you also have what we traditionally think of, of course, as governance, which is around things like security and data stewardship. And governance is that last piece where you actually look at the outputs and validate that the way the project or product is proceeding matches your original expectations at the beginning of it. Dan, how do you build a culture of engineering excellence? You need to establish a culture where everybody enjoys coming to work, they enjoy the project that they're on, and they want to win together. The second part is then you have to establish a software development process that we talked about earlier that encourages a meritocracy, that encourages good development, and when you have bad development, that you recognize it and you correct it. Developing this kind of culture doesn't just happen magically. How do you train your folks to fit in and to enjoy and flourish in this kind of culture? It starts with the hiring process. You want to make sure that as you bring people into the organization, you're signaling them uh, that this is a culture that's fun, that's highly collaborative, that is a meritocracy, and that they can uh, excel and have career growth. Even starting with simple processes like asking the, the employee, what, what are your career aspirations? What would you like to do? And doing it in a consistent way across the, the company. And once you have that information and you're creating dialogue around uh, what people want out of the culture and what's important to them, uh, it becomes very straightforward uh, in many cases to simply provide that. We live in a world where demographics tell us that for years to come, it's going to be hard to find the best people. There's so much competition. How do you manage that? We know that there's a lot of challenges when we have to work remotely. As simple as it sounds, sometimes we have a casual chit chat over our Zoom meeting. So we have a Zoom meeting that isn't around anything technical, but it's just about talking about what's going on in our lives where we try to build some of that same rapport that happens naturally around the water cooler. Um, but there's lots of other techniques as well where you might have an opportunity to travel and meet each other. 
Dan, as we finish up, what advice do you have for business leaders and technology leaders who want to start this journey to be more deliberate in their approach to engineering and to aligning engineering with the business goals? I think there's two main areas of advice. The first relates to what we were talking about, culture. And it's really the sort of opposite use case from the establishing great rapport that uh, we discussed earlier. And that means you have to jealously guard that trust and that meritocracy that you establish, which means you sometimes are going to have team members who don't align with that. And you need to be very, very focused on making sure that you, uh, forgive the phrase, remove the bad apples. Because uh, while most engineers are going to be diligent, that doesn't mean every single one of them. So you have to take seriously any threats to the, the culture you're establishing and be very, very uh, forceful in making sure that you protect that culture. As a leader, you really need to look and care about every single team member, their outcomes, not just of their projects, but of their careers. You really have to genuinely care. Once an organization has started this journey, what advice do you have for making it as simple, as easy, as successful as possible? I think it's important to have people who've been there before as part of your journey. You're always going to have uh, people learning and developing new ideas. But you also have to have people who have some experience uh, because they know what mistakes that are easy to make. You'd rather learn from someone else's mistakes than your own. Uh, but at the same time, you want some people who are looking at things with new eyes. So it's that blend of experience and, let's say, young, youthful exuberance uh, that makes a perfect combination for new product development. Dan, how can folks make this journey as simple, as easy, as successful as possible? I think the most important bit of advice I would give is to have some people who have been there before, which means bring in some people with experience um, to help augment your team. Uh, it doesn't mean that you need a team full of journeymen who have been doing this for decades, but a small number of people who have made the mistakes before can help you as a team to avoid some of those same pitfalls. Dan Drayson, Chief Development Officer of Shift4. It's been a fascinating discussion around ensuring that development aligns with business goals. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me.